Welcome to the Gospel Clarity Podcast, where we explore how the story of Jesus changes everything. In order for the gospel to be central, it must be functional. I'm your host, Mark Smith. And my name is Andrew Arthur. Thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. Welcome to the Gospel Clarity Podcast. Thanks for joining us. This is episode nine. This is episode nine, Andrew. Wow, man. Moving along. Yeah, we are cruising through this season. This is season one, episode nine. We're glad you're here. Uh, Today, we are going to be... So when does the season end? When does the season end? It... I mean, I could put it on record. You could? Okay, I could let's don't do that. Ends we in, don't want to lock it ourselves in. It ends in uh, 10 episodes. Goodbye. We like to keep our <laughs> options open. Yeah, we'll keep our options open, but when it just stops, listeners, then when, you'll know. When Mark says season two, episode <laughs> one, that's then when you'll, you'll know, know that then you'll something's know. changed. I don't know what, but something has yeah, changed. Yeah, well, and also, though, they will see a bit of an absence because uh, for the summer, we won't be recording podcast episodes, right? Yeah, for July and August. Yeah, so... Yeah. You can kind of expect season one to be wrapping up around that time. Gotcha. Yeah, but don't think about that right now, people, okay? (laughs) You're with us. You're here. You're happening. Don't be too eager for it to end. Yeah, don't be thinking about the the ending time, okay? This isn't a finish. This isn't running a race here. Uh, This is a dialogue conversation. Okay. Um, Andrew, how was your Easter? Easter was great, man. um, uh, We had our Good Friday gathering, uh, then... Had all day Saturday with my family, and then Sunday, which is a full day, with our three expressions hosting three different Easter gatherings. And it was a, a full weekend, but it was a life giving weekend. I don't feel drained at all. I feel um, encouraged coming out of it. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, we had a uh, pretty busy weekend and a pretty fun, fun uh, Easter three services. Our kids, our kids' ministry, we did a big Easter egg hunt for each expression, which some of you listeners are aware of, and it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun prepping. Um, but what you guys didn't see is the behind the scenes of Amy and I on our couch dividing up a box of 1,000 pre-stuffed Easter eggs. <laughs> and lots of Tootsie Rolls. And lots of things, yes. And uh, putting those all in different bags. It was a lot of a lot of fun kind of zoning out doing those things. I like doing tasks like that sometimes, yeah. you know, just this methodical, mindless, yeah. mindless moment. Have you ever seen, have you ever watched Parks and Recreation? Um, no. So there's a character in there named Jerry, and he's kind of the, the whipping boy of sorts. Um, he gets made fun of, everybody likes him, but he's, he's just the guy who spills coffee all the time, and he's kind of a, a clumsy guy. And uh, he's, he's, he excels at mindless tasks. Okay. Anything that require that enables him to zone out, like licking envelopes and stuffing envelopes and those types of tasks, he, he's the best in the world at. But uh, you get into anything that's a little more complicated, that's when he starts to struggle. Yeah. I'm not saying you're like that, but... Yeah, thanks, Andrew. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> there's, some, there's some value in... A busy in a busy schedule, some mindless, just kind of easy tasks that you mm. need to get done. Because it it's a way that your I think it's a way that actually your brain like recharges. Yeah, you know, if you don't have the time to like, other than sleep to recharge. Mm. You know, what I and mean? it and um, it's usually something that you can measure. So your progress yeah. is it's very satisfying because you're seeing something get yeah. done. Yeah, you accomplish a task. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yep. 
Actually, what I sometimes what I'll do is I'll do a task that like that, not necessarily mindless, but a task like that that's easily accomplished in the middle or like dispersed throughout the day, mm-hmm. amidst more challenging, kind of thoughtful times that I need to sit down and you know put lesson plan or mm-hmm. something like that. Right. So. Yeah, man. Well, uh, let me ask you a question about our topic, uh, which our topic today is uh, the gospel and disciple making, as we just begin to talk about what it means to what what we mean when we talk about making disciples. And um, it's certainly not something like a mindless task, right? Right. Not at all. It's not really a task that you complete necessarily either. Yeah. Now, right away, that sounds like the worst of tasks because it's something you'll it's, never finish. It, it is a, it is a, <laughs> it's a life-giving task, but it's a life-giving task in a completely different way. Uh, it's not life-giving because well you're said. actually able to see immediate progress. Yep. And it might not be life-giving in the sense that there's a finish line that you can see necessarily. Instead, you think more in terms of mileposts and um, making progress in our and in a person growing more and more into the image of Christ and becoming more like Jesus and and reminding people of of what Jesus is like i think you begin to notice patterns over a long period of time mm-hmm. that measures progress as opposed to looking for quick uh completed uh tasks and then saying okay this person or that person has been discipled because they've done this or they've done that um in some kind of uh, measurable, uh, quick, mindless effort. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, so, Andrew, what's your question for me? That was my question. I was actually, they were leading questions. They were terrible questions. But <laughs> now my question is, what, what comes into your mind when you think about disciple making? Oh, okay. There we go. Uh, I needed that one. <laughs> I needed that little <laughs> What comes to my mind when I think about disciple making? Uh, there's a number of things. First, it coming uh what it means to what does it mean when i think ask me a question one more time i just forgot it i was trying to answer what comes it. into your mind when you think about disciple making think about discipling disciple making mm-hmm. disciple making i think about how someone knows who they are in christ mm-hmm. what i also think about is how can someone be more like christ mm-hmm. so how can they know him how can they be like him? And how can they help others do the same? Yeah. That would probably be my simplest answer. Right. Yeah, that's great. And I think I think that's I think that captures very well what, what we're going after in our church when we talk about making disciples or helping people grow in their faith. I mean, we are uh, we we put it into three words. Um, to help disciples kind of grab hold of these words and to be thinking about these words as they themselves are growing and then as they themselves are helping others grow in their faith. And so Mm -hmm. uh, those words would be identity, intimacy, and involvement. Identity, speaking to who we are in Christ and wanting to shore that up Mm -hmm. in disciples' lives. Intimacy, uh, speaking to our desire to walk with Christ, to know Christ, to be in a deep fellowship with the Savior, and help disciples experience that so they can have a rich walk with Christ. 
And then that third dynamic is that, that you were getting after of helping others do the same. It's the dynamic of involvement, uh, helping disciples get involved in what Jesus is doing in the lives of those around them. And so this would require leading disciples to plug into a family of faith where they can discover and deploy their spiritual gifts, where they can contribute to the building up of the body of Christ or the maturation of the church, as well as um, going forward and serving neighbors and being a blessing wherever they are in life. Yeah, that's, yeah. So let's dive in. Let's maybe, let's individually, let's take about, take those three those three words and unpack them a little bit for our listeners for today. So identity, Mm -hmm. identity. Let's talk a bit about, dive in a little bit more. You just gave us a brief description of it, but Mm -hmm. what is kind of the real life daily walk of um, reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Well, I I think fundamentally, when you read through the New Testament, the most common description of what it means to be a Christian is is this phrase, in Christ. Uh, Like Paul describes, uh, Paul and other writers in the New Testament describe Christians and and describe churches as being people who are in Christ. That's a location, that's a union, that's an identity, that I am in Christ, and we are in Christ. And then fleshing all that out, um, it takes is is a wonderful life giving journey where we realize what does it mean to be in Christ. Well, if you're outside of Christ, um, you might be described as a guilty sinner. When you are inside of Christ, you are a forgiven sinner. When you're outside of Christ, you may be plagued by fear. When you're in Christ, you're going to be characterized with courage and faith. When you're outside of Christ, you may be uh, tormented by shame. And that may seek to define you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you are in Christ, you find honor, you find dignity, and it's all about your identity. And so I think we want to start there when it comes to understanding who we are. It's who we are in Christ. That's the big qualifier. And that's one of the best ways we can serve one another is by constantly reminding each other of who we are in Christ, forgiven, uh, free, uh, children of God and getting after all these wonderful descriptions of what it means to be in Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that the church, when we come together as as Christians together in the church, do you think that um, we're focusing on this enough? Do you think that we are that there could be room? Because to me, when you say that, I think of I think of a honestly, I think of like an Easter Sunday celebration, like. This is something worth celebrating, mm-hmm. and um, maybe maybe I'll ask this question a little bit differently. In what ways can the church celebrate our identity in Christ, in Christ? Yeah. together? Yeah, in what ways can we do that? Yeah, I think teaching on it a lot. I think yeah. calling yeah. attention to uh, our identity and who we are declared to be, focusing on that. Putting the accent on who God declares us to be in Christ, putting the accent there more frequently than putting it on the things that we do for Christ. And so some sometimes churches focus heavily on what we are supposed to do for Christ. And over time, that can erode or that can kind of pull us away from the reality of who we are in Christ. And it's a much more life-giving approach to the Christian life when we're living from our identity in Christ because we're being told who we are constantly. We're being dignified with that 
with the noble identity of being in Christ over and over and over again, that that is a much more life-giving and sustainable way to approach the Christian life than, let's say, if the accent was put more on what we are supposed to do for Christ. And over time, that the, the shift will become where identity is no longer something that is declared and determined by who God is and what God has done. Identity is something that must be achieved by what we do for God and for Christ. And so it's a subtle shift, but over time, I think the gravitational pull of indwelling sin and the gravitational pull of the cultural zeitgeist or the spirit of the age in which we live that says that identity is something we achieve, it's not something that we receive, I think that pull is strong, that if we're not careful and we are constantly talking about what we should do for Jesus rather than who we are in Jesus, it can it can distort our understanding of, of how to live the Christian life. Yeah. So then maybe in, kind of uh, to recap that, it's to teach, teach that, teach our identity in Christ, mm-hmm. and then also keep that topic at the forefront of people's minds so that we can be speaking it into each other's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe I mean, it's, it's all over. Once you begin to think in these categories of in Christ and you begin to have a, a functional understanding of what it means to be united with Christ mm-hmm. uh, as Christians and as uh, the church together, um, as you develop that functional understanding, you're going to see it all over the Bible. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. all over the New Testament. Yeah. And I, and I would even argue, too, that it's also all over the Old Testament in talking about the promise that's going to be coming, mm-hmm. right? And I think you can see elements of that definitely in the Old Testament as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and here's an example oh. of that. So in the Old Testament, you have all these promises that God makes to us, all mm-hmm. the things He declares He's going to do for His people. Then when you get into the New Testament, it's either 1 Corinthians one twenty or 2 Corinthians one twenty or 121. It's one of those. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have my Bible in front of me, but it's um, but it's a verse that tells us that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Yeah. And there's the phrase, in Christ, that every promise that God has made, it is fulfilled, it is attained, it is received, it is experienced in Christ. He, We must be located in Him to find God's promises fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So let's talk. Let's move to the next one then. Intimacy. Intimacy is the second one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There was a moment I I became self conscious that I did not think that it was the second one, but now I know it is. <laughs> uh, tell us, unpack intimacy. Okay, what does it mean to? What does that mean? So when we talk about intimacy, we're talking about um, really the the goal of eternal life. Uh, maybe not goal, but the definition of eternal life. So in John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus would define eternal life in these terms. He says, eternal life is knowing God and Christ Jesus, whom he has sent. And the word for knowing there is an intensely intimate term. It's actually a word that would cause us to blush if we dive into it a little deeper, because in the Old Testament, the equivalent to the term of knowing God that Jesus draws on there is used to refer to what happens when a man knows a woman in the Old Testament, and which means when they lie together and experience sexual intimacy and sexual union. And that same language is picked up by Jesus, that we would know God, that we would be intimate with God, that we would be 
experience union with, with God. That's how he would define eternal life. And then even in Philippians chapter 3, Paul draws on that same language where he says to the, he says essentially that I consider everything rubbish apart from knowing Christ Jesus. Like that was his desire. That was his drive. That's what he wanted to experience because that's what eternal life consists of. It's intimacy with God. It's intimacy with Christ. Cool. There's a, this actually reminds me when you say knowing knowing God, um, it, it does remind me of J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. Um, and, and the reason why it does that is because I think within that book, he, he shows you through the scriptures the complexity of knowing God in that intimacy, what that intimacy looks like is it's not just, it's not just factual. It's not just knowing things about him, right? But it's, but to truly know him, um, there's an experiential nature to that. There's also a very, that intimacy, um, I think is very revealing of oneself. So God is, when we get to know God, when we know him better, we both, we also at the same time know more about ourselves mm-hmm. and I think in our weaknesses, um, and how God's grown us and developed us and, um, continuing to grow us in Christ. Right. Cause I mean, uh, relationships change people. Uh, when we're in a relationship with someone, that relationship will inevitably change us either for the better or for the worse. It can, it can have all kinds, it can move us in both, either direction, mm-hmm. except for a relationship with God. Because <laughs> when we are knowing God, when we are experiencing intimacy with Him, walking with Him, that relationship's going to change us. Yeah. But it's going to change us for the better. Yeah. And I think another, and another plug too that I would encourage our, our listeners, if you um, are not one to be interested in reading um, about theology, or reading deeper doctrines or truth, you know, these, these were written and created to give us a better understanding of who God is, of, of knowing him. And by doing so, it, it is made to create more intimacy with God. Like, Andrew, would you agree that knowing theology, reading theology should lead to intimacy with God, not just a factual head had knowledge of him. Yeah, I think that's the only reason theology exists. Um, that's the only reason why we should even engage theology. Well, we can engage theology in the sense that we want to, because, because theology in the world that we live in now encompasses all any, well, basically it means thinking about God. That's how you would define studying, theology. Yeah, studying God. And there's lots of theologies. And so you want to study theology if you want to be able to perhaps engage people in, con- in conversations that are thoughtful, that are meaningful, that are important to them so that you can maybe discern lies and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, bring out truth about who God is, this, that, and the other. So there's a, there's a missional purpose for studying theology. Yeah. It's, if, I, if I could maybe throw in an extra analogy real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Bryant was sharing with us a couple of weeks ago or something. He was talking about... Uh, Bryant's our executive pastor. Yes. Um, uh, he was talking about, I think this was him. He was talking about um, identifying counterfeit money. Mm-hmm. And um, when people would when people would be trained in identifying counterfeit money, they, would, they wouldn't be looking at all these different types of counterfeit money, but instead they would be, they would like intimately know the real thing. They would look at money and they would know all the intricacies, all the details of actual like real cash. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when they saw counterfeit money, they would able, be able to identify it 
easily. It didn't look right. It looked, because it would look off. It would look off. I think in the same way, when we know our theology of God, we are when we really know it and we know him, we're able then to identify false theology. Right. But it, yeah, and uh, yeah, I agree. And so there is a missional component to this, but I would say that's far secondary. Uh, the primary goal of theology is to draw us into an experiential knowledge, into a relationship with God that is intimate, that is life-changing, that draws life out of us and gives life as it gives life to us. And so um, the only re- so if somebody's studying theology and their goal isn't to fall more in love with God, then what's going to happen is their head is going to grow, but their heart without, is going to shrink. Yeah, without their heart. And you don't want to grow as a Christian in that way. And this is one of the problems with some of our approaches to making disciples. Uh, far too often, we kind of gravitate towards an educational-based approach to, to disciple-making. And it's all about education. Now, I'm all about education. I've done a lot of school, and I am pro-education. I'm pro-formal education. But um, we can't. We have to work really hard to show people that our knowledge of God should drive our obedience to God, our love for God. And if our heads are growing but our hearts are shrinking, we are not making disciples. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. We've got to have the right motives when we're wanting to know more about God, and especially in education. Um, okay, so let's talk about that third... That third um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the third component to that would be involvement. That's what it is. And this is... Um, By the way, just so you guys know, uh, we were joking around beforehand, and I was making up different names or different words. And uh, by doing so, it kind of bit me because uh, I, I've i been thinking about those wrong words this entire episode. So involvement, <laughs> Andrew, tell us yeah. what involvement is. Well, involvement, ultimately... So when we are making disciples, we want to help them find their identity in Christ we want to help them experience uh, intimacy with Christ. And then we want to lead them into serving Christ and being involved in what Jesus is doing around them. And so this would be leading disciples to get involved in the life of the life of a church, to plug into the body of Christ, to take up their space where they belong in the body because they've been gifted by God to serve the body. They are, they are being energized by the Holy Spirit to contribute to the life of the body of Christ. And so when we're making disciples, we're not leading disciples away from the church. We're leading disciples into the church because that's where they belong. That's the family that they are a part of. And once they are led into the church then we disciple them to get involved, okay? Help them discover their spiritual gifts. Help them to figure out the raw materials of their lives that God is redeeming and God is repurposing for His kingdom and for the good of His people in the world. Uh, whatever those passions or talents or interests or experiences may have been, how God takes all of it and He wants to use all of it for His glory and for that disciple's good as well as the good of those around them. And so the involvement piece is moving disciples towards the body and getting involved in the life of the body. Um, but in moving towards the body, we're not saying taking them out of the world to plug into the body, but to come into the body where they can continue to grow and to be equipped and trained so that when they are outside or going about their ordinary 
rhythms of life, wherever they live, wherever, wherever they learn or work or play, that they're able to engage all of those areas of influence with a disciple-making mentality and with a with an ambassador or understanding themselves as being ambassadors of Christ in the world. And so they're going out to love and to serve and to testify to the beauty of Jesus and to what Jesus is doing for them and what Jesus wants to do for others. So Andrew, I'm going to come back and I'm going to answer your question again of what comes to my mind when I think about disciple making. So when I think about disciple making, I think of my identity in Christ. I think about <laughs> the intimacy I have in Christ. With Christ? With Christ. <laughs> Nitpicking. It's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then my involvement um, in, in the church, in other people's lives, and um, how that uh, identity and intimacy are playing out. Yeah, and that third, another way of thinking about that third piece, involvement, as Jesus was living his life and serving others, uh, he makes a, a very clear statement in the Gospel of John saying, I only do what I see my Father doing. And so Jesus was constantly discerning. When he was out and about interacting with people, he was so in tune with the Father because he had intimacy with the Father that he could discern where the Father was at work in a given moment, and he would go and join the Father in what the Father was already doing. And so that may be the best way to describe the involvement piece. It's learning to discern where the Father is at work around us and joining Him. 